So if you were to describe South Potomac Church with a word or two or three or a phrase, and that happens, and it happens just in passing. Uh, someone will see me with a SBC shirt on, or they'll, well, they'll make mention, where do you go, or what do you do, and you get just a moment. Uh, when we describe it from one person to another, a variety of words come out, and hopefully they're uh, appealing and attractive, but words like warm and accepting, great music, sweet children's program, dynamic groups for connection. Um, we always uh, include uh, energetic teens in the mix, the, the service is contemporary. We will oftentimes say, we used to say the word contemporary, then we change it to the word authentic. Now we say casual, now we say real. Ugh, we're not sure what we are anymore. Um, we oftentimes say, when we describe uh, um, South Potomac Church, we say multi-generational, and then we almost always say um, multicultural. Uh, I like to think of us as a Bible teaching church that emphasizes practical application, not just the cranking out of the text, but what does that mean to me today and tomorrow and the next week. But others may, when they hear the word South Potomac Church or they describe it, they may not use it in those kind of terms which are more programmatic. They may use it in a more um, uh, less than less than qualified. In other words, it's there, but you can't necessarily measure it. Things like um, uh, compassion, and whether it's a local outreach in the community or efforts of compassion in the, in the community and in the region or worldwide. Um, I met a lady and I was telling her about uh, uh, like next Sunday we'll pray for a team going to go to Central America, to Guatemala. And she said, why in the world would you do that? <laughs> it was part of what Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the good news. And, oh yeah, but can't you just stay home and do that? Yeah, we could. We want to go all the way around the world. Wherever we get those opportunities, we do that. So it's compassion and it's being generous and yet it's being strategic with our generosity. And yet even when we're strategic, we're still creative. Another thing that's hard to measure, but I, I think in a lot of ways, pretty creative. When, when's the last time you've gone to a church and there's a tree on your stage? And uh, whatever the miracle grow was, we gave that thing. It really grew well in a week because it wasn't there a week ago. Um, and, uh, and so there, there are lots of terms that are used in describing the church. And I hope, that, um, I hope that we're always theologically sound, but I hope we're not theologically sterile. You know what I mean by that? Like we have great doctrine, but have no heart. Well, we always want to be prayerful and heart-to-heart -heart personal. And I've told you this before, this is a house of prayer, and I'll see people pray. In fact, I'll pray for people. They'll pray for me. Just um, uh, We were singing a bit ago, and I like to see you sing. Sometimes I sing from the front row. Sometimes I sing off to the side. Sometimes I sing from the back. And um, this morning I sang all the way around the hall, and I helped them join in, which was kind of awkward, but I did it anyway because I, I'm used to awkward. Okay, That's what I do. It's one of the best things about me is my awkwardosity but anyway so i i sang my way around just to uh charge the the people and then i stood back here and um and sang the opening uh set with you guys and as i did that a guy walked up and said are you ready and i said i'm nervous i get the pre pre-game jitters and and he doesn't he always sees me as a happy-go-lucky and they don't realize I'm trembling on the inside because this is the word of God and I am delivering the, the text that was once delivered to all the saints and I stand accountable to the Lord for that and he goes, well, do, you know, do your best and he, you know what, he's, he's praying for me he's charging me on 
and um, because he's Navy, he, he, he pats me on the, well, never mind. But anyway, he, <laughs> it's only because he's Navy he gets away with that. All of those things that we do when we describe the church, they're all true, and yet if there were a covering word to all of those things that happen about us, either they're programmed and not and measurable or not, all of them fall under this umbrella of grace. Why we do what we do, why we do what we do is grace. It really is amazing. It is, in fact, amazing is not a good enough word. It is awesome, but that's a use, word that's used, overused. So we can't just say awesome, amazing, great. It's just outstanding grace. It is the unmerited favor of God. And that's why we do what we do. It's why we are the way we are, because we have been graced. And God demonstrates his love for us by giving to us Christ. If ever there were a gracious moment, that would be a giving, gracious moment. So we can be encouraged because God's grace is not only available, but it is amazing it is for us. And it's because of his mercy that he saves us. The text goes on to say, he is patient with us. Another writer of scripture would say, he's not wanting that any should perish. He is super gracious. There's there's a great term we could use. Super gracious. Jesus is the peacemaker. He finds a way to make the peace in a world that is so destructively hell-bent on taking people to hell and hostages there. And yet he's the peacemaker, and he, he now he is our salvation. He becomes our salvation. He lays his own life down. And all of it banks on, on this grace of God that's demonstrated in Christ that sealed the deal in the Holy Spirit. So we sing, this is amazing grace. This is amazing love. We sing, my chains are gone, amazing grace. We sing, grace greater than our sins. And it's all true, but the writer of Scripture, when he... When he uses the term grace, it comes in this text. We're in 2 Corinthians, and I'm going to just draw your attention today to two verses, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Because there is this possibility that the grace that we have that is so amazing, this grace that we have that we enjoy, this grace that we have that we revel in, that we roll around in, that we fill up in, that we that we nurture our own souls with, that we, that we, the way we treat other people in the spirit of grace, it could become dull and lackluster. It be, could become what the text says, vain. And that's a dangerous spot for it to be in because everything banks on the, this grace that is given to us. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1 as God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. So it's possible for you to receive God's grace, but it be in vain. Get that? You could have it, but still be not good, not useful. For he says, and then he quotes Isaiah, Old Testament. This is 800 years earlier. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. In the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor now is the day of salvation. God, our Father in heaven, uh, we say, hallowed be your name. We thank you for your grace towards us, the unmerited favor. May we revel in it. May it always be for us valid, never expired, never with the wind come out of it, never with um, 
somehow it being polluted, but may it be fully graced in our lives, we pray. Thank you. Uh, bless these dear brothers and sisters, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So, as God's co-workers, verse 1, as God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. As God's co-workers, let's understand a few things. As a personal believer in Jesus Christ, you don't go to heaven alone. You go to heaven with other people. Okay? You go to heaven with other people. You're, you're part of a band of followers in, in Jesus. So, so even though faith is very personal, right? And everyone has to believe individually. And you pray that you do believe and you pray that your children believe, your spouse believes, that your grandchildren, that your parents whatever you are in life, you pray they trust Christ, but they have to do it for themselves. It's very personal, but most of the time the Bible talks about faith, in, it's talking about it in a collective form. It's almost always in a, in a dynamic, and, it's, and oftentimes it's in a congregation. In other words, there's a collection of faith, and something happens special within the collected nature of the faith. In fact, it was said of Jesus, there were times he would do miracles, there were times he didn't. And you know when he didn't? It's when there wasn't enough faith in the city. He just, I'm not doing it. And you know, and he, he's God's son. There were days he did miracles and days that he didn't. So I, I encourage you to not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, Hebrews. Why? Because you need to encourage each other in the faith. But you need to be encouraged. But you may say, well, I'm doing fine. But you may need to be here for somebody else. And it may be in that greet time or in the lobby or coming and going. It may be, it may be that you're going to meet the Lord. Or you may think you're doing okay, and then you will leave here with a more buoyant faith because you're with other believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why I think even on vacation, you say, well, we're going to Louisiana or Colorado or Canada someplace on vacation. You know what? When, when the Lord's Day comes, it's Sunday, go to church there. Go to church there. And, and um, don't go to evaluate. Just go to enjoy the family of God that's in Alberta or Denver or, Lord help you, Baton Rouge, okay? But there are bodies of believers in Jesus Christ. And it's kind of fun, actually, to see the culture affect the way people worship. But just enjoy the fact that these people are going to heaven as well. The music might be a little bit different, or the style which things are done is a little bit different. And that's good. That's God's creative handiwork. It's no different than walking through a woods and enjoying the elms and the maples. And even if you enjoy the maples, the fact that some are sugar maples and some are red maples, different kinds of maples and different kinds of oaks, that's God's creative handiwork. And that's the way he is with local assemblies as well. So even when you go on vacation, um, Set the right example by going to church w with your children and then just enjoying God's people even in Seattle or in L.A. or wherever it is you go because you aren't going to heaven alone. You're going in a cluster. Now, having said that, uh, keep reading. He says, uh, you are God's co-workers. In other words, you are not here with a ticket to ride for free. You came to to faith in Jesus Christ, that ticket was free. Now you're on the bus. Now you have a job on the bus. Make sense? You are co-workers. Everyone has a job. Everyone has a gift. 
and everyone needs to operate within their giftedness, but then also within the realm of need as well. There are times you don't have to actually work within your gift. You just need to fulfill the need. This week, it'll be vacation Bible school, and in the next, I don't know, three or four hours, this auditorium will turn into a playscape. All these chairs will be stacked. No one has the gift of stacking chairs. You just do it, right? No one has the gift of taking trash out, right? You just do it. How many of you have been in the kitchen and you're helping somebody in the kitchen and someone says, I think we need to take the trash out? Anybody had that? Yeah. Are they saying we like we, like all of us are going to gather together and take the trash out? No, what are they saying? You take the trash out, right? You say, well, it's not my spiritual gift. Yes, it is today. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. Do what I do. I take the trash out and stop in the garage and work on some stuff for a while. Put some tools away kind of hang out for a while it was a long way down the driveway i got lost i've been to the trash can in a while yeah yeah just be a part of the blessing because you know no one wants to walk into a house with stinking trash right we just don't it's always more pleasant you know what it's when you don't notice the bad stuff that means everyone's pitching in okay so we're headed to heaven together, and this is not a free ride. That we're, we're co-workers, co-laborers together. And, and this is why it's so important, keep reading the text, that you not receive God's grace in vain. What, what in the world does that mean? Because I have to monitor my life. Why? Because I want the grace of God to be valid, not to be somehow in vain. And what does it mean for my grace to be in vain? Now, if you are taking notes, I'm going to give you a handful but you may come up with a few of your own. What does it mean for my faith to be in vain? Translators, when they use the word in vain, and they tell us what this word means when Paul writes it. It means, it means for your faith or your grace to be somehow empty, empty grace, or useless, without content. Or it's a grace that has no result to it. So it is absolutely useless. So it's good intentions that are never followed through. Anyone have a kid like that? Yes. Oh, I thought about it. Eh, it didn't count thinking about it. This is where grace demonstrates itself and, and shows a stark difference between valid and in vain kind of faith. And in vain kind of faith, let me, let me just give you a few examples. One would be this. A disbelief in the message that's delivered. So you've been graced, you've received Christ, but you don't keep receiving the grace that comes from Jesus. So it's belief, uh, and it's belief in Jesus, but it's somehow belief, and that's enough. And so then faith doesn't matter as much to you because you were headed to heaven, and so it's really freeloading kind of faith. Let someone else be gracious. Let someone else's life be changed. There's another kind, and it's faith that doesn't even believe in Jesus. It's just faith that believes in faith. And that's a real common theme among a lot of Christmas movies and a lot of dramas all 11 other months of the year. It's just faith that, you know, you believe you can believe, and it's just a belief in belief. And that's not a valid kind of grace either. Or what the Apostle Paul was really facing was a, a kind of faith that was mixed with error, and so he ended up with a grace that was mixed with error. 
And what was happening was this. The Apostle Paul, we covered this a few weeks ago. When he arrived in Corinth, he plants his church. But he's going to plant other churches, and so he's, he's traveling. When he leaves, some false teachers come in, and they go, Oh, yeah, it's good that you trusted Jesus. You also need to fulfill the Old Testament law, and you do these other things. And why were they doing that? They were doing that so they could control those people. So they basically made Paul look like a liar or a loser, and they made themselves look like they were something to behold they wanted the the gathering they wanted the loyalty and paul says no if, if anyone preaches any other grace than the grace of jesus galatians 1 and 2 let him be accursed let him be accursed this is grace this is not some grace mixed with law if you do that then you could earn your way to salvation you could earn your way to heaven can't be done so he mixes a, a pure kind of grace with some kind of pollutant. In fact, if you, were to ever, if you were to ever look at what this vain kind of grace is, it's almost always has to do with some kind of mix. Because what's happening today in our culture is we're mixing a pure faith, good faith, but we're mixing it with, um, with culture of the day, which is really common. So we have faith in Jesus, but we just kind of do our own thing. We take the parts of Jesus that we like, but we leave the parts that we don't like. We hear that among Christians who are compromising Christians, who, who, who bend the truth or say, well, I'll only read these passages in the Bible because these other ones make me feel bad. <laughs> well, okay. Maybe they're there for a reason, to help us change ourselves. Instead of us changing the text, let the text change our lives. Um. This is, this is very, uh, uh, the stark reality of what's happened within a generation is, is alarming. Uh, recently, we uh, just said farewell to one of the heroes of the faith of our generation. This guy's name is Billy Graham. You know the name, right? Wonderful man. And um, he went to heaven as a hero. He prayed with presidents, prayed with all ki kinds of people, but before most of us were even born, the guy was preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. In fact, in 1957, he filled Yankee Stadium in New York City. And you can, you can get on YouTube and watch that service, that uh, kind of rally there. And he preached against sin. Uh, another time he was in Canada, and it's a black and white video. You can catch it on YouTube. It, he, he preaches on the family um, uh, and dating relationships and uh, and what that should look like and it was boy girl dating it was teen night if he were to preach that same sermon today or if his son franklin preached that they would just say he's out to lunch i mean there's he, that's just not the way it's going to be but he hasn't altered his word over over his 50-year history so what has changed it's the culture and that's how your grace becomes in vain let me give you another one. It's when our, and this happens to good Christians, it's when our grace becomes somehow heartless. So our grace, we believe God is good and he is out for our good, but we are just weary. And because we are weary, we choose not to look beyond ourselves. We choose not to see beyond what we want to see. We mind our own business. We keep our head down. We tend to not make eye contact with others so we don't have to extend any grace to anyone else. And what ends up happening is this. We end up with a very calloused, heartless, indifferent kind of faith. It's faith that gets us to heaven, but there's no joy to that faith. There's no joy to it. Why? Because grace is in vain. Do you understand the difference? 
And so this kind of unmerited favor from God, um, by the way, uh, that word grace is mentioned a hundred times in the New Testament, well over a hundred. Um, but 2 Corinthians mentions the word grace uh, along with Ephesians. Those are the two epistles that mention it the most. And when Paul writes about grace, he's doing it with a very entangled web of relationships here where people aren't sure they can even trust him. And he says, grace is the way you're going to find your way out of this. So what does valid grace really look like? Well, if you're taking notes, let me just encourage you, uh, jot these down. Like in Acts chapter 11, early in the church, it says about this grace, that this was encouraging grace to remain true to the Lord and to remain true with all your heart. Acts eleven twenty three, That's the kind of grace you want that's encouraging to each other. Uh, Acts chapter 20, again, the church. First century, he says, Now I commit to God the word of his grace, which can build you up. So you want to have the kind of grace that builds yourself up, but builds others up as well. If it's only about yourself, that's selfish grace. Does that make sense? What you want is the kind of grace that's good to other people. To give you an inheritance to those who are sanctified. In other words, this faith is going to make me holy, and that's going to make me even more gracious, less judgmental, and more grateful of the work of God in my own life. Romans chapter 5, verse 2, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So, so valid grace is a standing, steady, lifelong kind of grace, not an on and off switch. Today, not today, yes, maybe, maybe tomorrow, maybe not, no. This is a, 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 a grace where we stand Romans 5, 2. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It's by grace that's been given to me. He says, I, I am like a builder, like a wise builder. And I build, I, I build for the sake of God's glory. But because I'm a builder, I'm a part of a bigger system. So this kind of valid grace is a team building. I'm not in this alone. I don't get the glory for it anyway. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. May, the, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement. <laughs> it's by his grace that he even encourages us. So we, we are encouraged. Why? Because our eyes are on Jesus, not on ourselves or not on our situation, which is exactly where the Apostle Paul was when he writes 2 Corinthians. He had been pretty well maligned and he said that's okay if the gospel gets out and this happens it doesn't matter that i survive or not what really matters is that you have a a, a gracious kind of faith a faith that's not in vain and uh, hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 let us approach god's throne of grace in other words you can talk to god and when we talk to him that's the throne of grace that's that's the point of grace and we come back to that why because it's there you can rest your soul that's how you keep that grace very well aligned to the Lord. And so when we do that, the text goes on to say that we'll receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So when I am in deep trouble, I find grace for that moment. I've been with sick people, and I marvel at how, how stable they are and how joyful they are. And they'll say, well, of course I am. And you know what they have? They have the grace of God in their life. You've been around a saint who has dying grace? They know they're headed to heaven, and they, they go, I'm ready, ready to go. 
Uh, one more, it's James chapter 4, verse 6. But he gives more grace. That's why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Get that, he gives more grace. So you could have sustaining grace and giving grace and persevering grace. And you can have encouraging, building grace. You can have teamwork kind of grace. Why? Because he will give more grace, not just at the day of your salvation, but all through your life. That's valid kind of grace. So go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. So now we know what that means. It's not going to be useless for us. We need this grace not only to save us, we need this grace every day of our lives all the way to heaven. It's grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all of our sin, and we know that so well. So he says, in the time of favor, I heard you. What's he doing here? He's, he's taking a page from the prophet here, Isaiah, 800 years earlier. And that prophet Isaiah, he's the one who's gonna say to us, There'll be a, a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Well, that's the Christmas passage, right? That's Isaiah. That's the guy. All we like sheep have gone astray. Everyone's turned to his own way. That's the prophet Isaiah. He's predicting the coming of the Savior, Jesus. And he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. Get this. So he takes a page from the prophet, and he says, God hears me. And the day of salvation, you helped me. So God hears me. God helps me. God hears me when I'm in need of additional grace. I have saving grace, God. Now I need grace to deal with the stuff of my life. Anybody been there before? Yeah. I need sustaining grace, God. I need persevering grace. I need guiding grace. I, I'm going through, uh, you know, you, you could be going through a family mix-up and there could be, you know, grandma could die and the will is there and people get ugly when money's involved, right? Anybody been there? Yeah, that's why I'm not leaving my kids anything. I, I just tell them, I don't want you to fight. I said, go ahead and leave us something, Dad. We'll promise not to fight. But you, you're in a situation like that where, where family, family tension is so troubling and you pray, God, give me guiding grace and he hears you, you cry out to him. But he also helps you. Have you ever noticed when, when you tell a story and, you, and it's bad? Have you ever had this happen to you before? People go, ah. all together now, ready? Ah. Gotta get the ah at the back. Okay, here's another one. That, this is the one that SBC is known for. Mm-mm-mm. Ready? One, two, three. Yes. Okay, when, and you know what? Someone, mm-mm-mm. That means I agree with you. Or mm-mm-mm. Ain't that awful. I mean, it's both of those. Isn't that? I don't know which one it is. Mm-mm-mm. we'll do that at the end of a beautiful song Mm-mm-mm. like that was a beautiful song and then next time ain't that awful I, I, I have trouble interpreting it Mm-mm-mm. and then and then the people who are my age go Mm-mm-mm. that's what Campbell's soup is Mm-mm, good yeah <laughs> anybody else got that one in your head and now you do and you are welcome so he takes a page from the prophet and the prophet says God hears me. God helps me. He doesn't just stand in heaven with his hands on his hips going, oh, here they go again. He doesn't ever roll his eyes. No, he comes to the rescue for us. 
He helps, he digs in, he's part of the solution. And as gracious, as gracious people as we are, we don't just stand and roll our eyes with our hands on our hips and moan. No, we dig in because we are co-workers together with God. Get that now? So what do we do? We run to him for safety. We run to him for security. We run to him. We ran to him on the day of our salvation, but we don't stop running to him. We pursue him all the days of our lives, and we find out his grace really is marvelous, infinite, wonderful grace. I close with the words we just sang them. Julia Johnston wrote them uh, 1910, over 100 years ago. And uh, just to give that context, she wrote these words before World War I even broke open. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilled. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon, cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace freely bestowed on all those who believe. Freely bestowed, that's true, it's what it is, valid. You who are longing to see his face, that's us. Will you this moment his grace receive? Grace, grace, God's grace. Let's bow for prayer and let's stand as we pray. As I pray, I realize in uh, the audience there could be people who would say, uh, you know what, you treat me like I'm a believer, but I'm not there yet. So this is your time. There, there's a payment for sin, and that payment is death. You have to pay your own sin if you don't let Jesus do it for you. So I implore you, by the mercies of God, that you turn yourself in to Christ here and now. Would you trust him and invite him into your own life? And if you'll do that, right where you're standing, you just tell the Lord, God, I know I'm a sinner. I need Christ and believe with all your heart. God says he'll save you. Your words aren't important. What's important is your heart. Trust him today. And for all of us, Lord, we know we need this marvelous, infinite, matchless grace, and you freely bestow it on all who believe. Increase our faith. We pray that we become uh, not only people who occupy this space of grace, but purveyors of it. We have a wonderful grace that overflows wherever we are. And when we walk into a room, we change the temperature of that room to be a more gracious place because of the wonderful work of Christ in our lives. We pray this in the strong name of the Savior.